<laughs> Happy birthday to John. <laughs> it is your birthday, isn't it? Yeah. How old are you? 74. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's old, John. <laughs> <laughs> Older than you might think. <laughs> All right. Now. Wow, it's been a while since we've been here. <laughs> oh. We get to do another uh, another look at the books of the Bible this morning. Um, what's what's the name of the section we are in right now? Major prophets. Major prophets. How many major prophets? How many major prophets are there? <laughs> yeah. All right, five. Yeah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Some of these prophets are a lot more major than others if, if major means the length of the book. Um, Isaiah. How many chapters were in Isaiah? 66. Yeah. Um, Jeremiah is not quite that long. I don't remember how many chapters in that. 50, 52. Yeah. But it's still long. Now, um, in our timeline, I don't have, I didn't do this timeline, but I don't have Jeremiah on here. We saw um, Isaiah covered every, the period from Isaiah all the way into Manasseh. I don't know how far into Manasseh. I'm sure he died at some point in Manasseh's reign. In fact, the um, Jewish tradition was that Manasseh had, had him executed. Manasseh. Manasseh was certainly wicked enough to do that. But I don't know if he did. Um, then we have a gap in our major prophets down to Josiah. And partway through the reign of Josiah is when Jeremiah starts. And, and how far down does Jeremiah go on this chart? Past the he goes all the way past the bottom. Um, he, 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 he certainly was there to the end of Zedekiah and the Babylonian captivity. But the book actually covers a little bit of history beyond that, uh, at least a few months. I'm not sure how long. But um, and so he died somewhere in this in this area called Babylonian captivity. This is what the map, the political map, looked like by the end of Jeremiah's life. Um, we saw with Isaiah we had a different map we had the Assyrian Empire and there was a little uh, area right around Jerusalem that was a different color because (laughs) Judea hadn't become part of the Assyrian Empire but by the end of the book of Jeremiah Babylon covers this whole area they've got everything that we know of in the Bible except, except Egypt and and they did they apparently did make inroads into Egypt too, but I don't think they ever conquered it. Um, now I want to talk about this map just a little bit, um, just so that we'll understand some things in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, the 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 previous the, the empire previous to the Babylonian was what Assyria. What city was the capital of Assyria? Nineveh. 
and it's up here on, on the Tigris River. The Babylonian Empire is named Babylonian because the capital is Babylon, down here on the Euphrates River. Uh, but I'm sure you notice as you're reading these first few chapters of Jeremiah that what direction does the enemy come from? From the north. And yet, from Jerusalem, Babylon is almost due east, isn't it? Why do you say that the, that the invasion is going to come from the north then? Exactly, yeah. There's a big desert here. We, we don't see that on the map here, but um, this is the Arabian Desert. Conquerors did not normally come straight across. They, they, they couldn't have supported their army on the way. So, Whenever the when and Babylon invaded Jerusalem several times, but every time they would follow what what we call the Fertile Crescent. They would go up the river, and then um, here we have Riblah, which is is um, I believe we're going to read about that in Jeremiah later. They would come down through Damascus, and then on down uh, because there was water, there was food the whole way. Um, so from the from the perspective of the people of Jerusalem, the Babylonians came from the north. I don't know that they even had a map like this to try to figure out exactly where Babylon was. All they knew was, when we see them, they're coming in from the north. And they, they would come first through uh, where the northern tribes used to have been, and then through where the southern tribes were. Alright, so now... Um, Here's the outline. Again, I'm getting this out of my Zondervan Bible. Uh, and in today's portion, we're going to do chapter 1, the call of Jeremiah, and then part of the second section, warnings and exhortations to Judah. Uh, after that, there will be promises of restoration. And then there is a surprising amount of history um, in, in, this, in this major prophet of Jeremiah. <clears throat> in fact... I, and I really think you're going to like the book of Jeremiah because of this. It's just, it's just a very interesting book. Uh, we will learn more about the person of Jeremiah than you'll know about any other prophet in, in the Old Testament. When you get done, you feel like, wow, I, you know, I kind of I know Jeremiah. And, and just by contrast, let me ask, what do you know about Isaiah? Not the book, but the person. What do you know about the person Isaiah? We just finished all 66 chapters. Not very much. Yeah, we're not going there, John. We know, we know it's two different sections, but not two different persons. Um, you do know a little bit. I mean, you do. I mean, it's not zero for Isaiah. For example, in chapter six, when he had the, the temple vision, um, you see his attitude: "Woe is me! I am a man of uh, you know of sinful lips." So we see he had a humble attitude, understood his sins. In um, in chapter, um, I think it may be chapter eight, we find out that he was married. He had some children. Um, that's about all I can tell you about him. <laughs> but Jeremiah, whoa, we're going to learn a lot about him. Um, now, and you don't see that as much in the early chapters. Now we do a little bit in, in just the eleven chapters we're going to do. We'll see a little bit of the personal about him. 
But as we go on, we'll see more. And um, he doesn't mind putting the personal end to, to his to his prophecy. Not just, and I'm not just talking about the history. I mean, later on, when you get into the history, you feel so sorry for the guy. I mean, he just suffered more than about anybody else you can imagine. And he suffered it from the people that he was trying to help. Uh, but the other thing you see as you go along is that he'll throw into his prophecies some of his own feelings and, and how bad he feels that he's, he's being beat up on by these people he's trying to help. And, and he'll, he'll talk about how he's been praying for these people and look what they're doing in return. And, and, and he's a real person. And, and as you read it, you just feel, you, you just feel so, so sorry for the guy having to, to go through what he was going through. All right, so that's anything else on the outline before we start. Um, all right, so we're going to do the call of Jeremiah, and that, right now, that, that's just one chapter of our outline. And it tells who he was. Um, interesting enough, um, what was he in verse 1? Yeah, he was a priest. That's a, that's a bit of a surprise. Um, uh, his his hometown was what? Anathoth. Yeah, Anathoth. His hometown was Anathoth in Benjamin. Um, but most of the book takes place in Jerusalem, uh, even though that I mean. I, and I think in the in the first part of his history, and I'll mention the book is not in chronological order. Every so often, it'll throw in, it'll tell you who's the king at the time, and it jumps it jumps around a bit. Um, I, I assume the book is more topically oriented. Now, when we get toward the end, it does get it does get a little bit more ordered in terms of chronology. Um, but. Um, and by the end of it, he's 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 living in Jerusalem. But I think in the early parts, he probably still lived in Anathoth and just went to Jerusalem when God told him, you know, go there and preach. Um, and it tells the kings that were you know in charge when he was uh, when when during his uh, prophecy time of prophecy, which we already covered that. Um, and now let me start reading in, in verse 5. Here's, here's the Lord speaking to him. Be I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Wow, how would you feel if God told you and before you were even born, He, he had appointed you for something? <laughs> what an honor. And He's a prophet to the nations. And of course, he did have prophecies against all the different nations, but primarily, of course, it was to Judah. And then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. I don't know exactly what age he was, but um, when you look at the period of time that, that he prophesied over, he had to be quite old. I mean, if he was, say, 20 at this time, and I think the word youth would cover that, I think he would have been close to 80 when you, when you finished the book. It was a huge period of, of time. And, but what was the Lord's response when He objected like that? Why not say that? The Lord will command him to speak. Yeah. 
Because you're just going to do what the Lord says. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Now, who else have you ever had in, in the Bible that objected when the Lord told him to go tell people things? Yeah, he's pretty famous for that. Moses. Yeah. And it wasn't with Moses. He said, "Well, who made men, man's mouth?" <laughs> and this time he doesn't say that. But you know, whatever I command, you're going to do. And then he warns him in verse eight. What? Yeah, don't be afraid because he's going to deliver him. And boy, you know, I don't think Jeremiah had any idea of what it was he wasn't supposed to be afraid of at this point. He was going to go through some very difficult times by the time it's over. And then what does the Lord do? Touch his mouth. Behold, I put my words in your mouth, he says. Then. He, in verse 11, we start some visions here. Um, the first one's a little bit odd. What's he see for the first vision in verse 11? Rod of an tree. Yeah, a rod of an almond tree. Um, okay, you know, that's not too difficult to see, but the, the conclusion, you see, well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. We read that and we say, huh? <laughs> but if you have a marginal note, What's the explanation for how the connection between rod of an almond tree and watching over his word? Yeland? Yeah, plain on words in Hebrew. <laughs> and of course, we don't read it in Hebrew, we read it in English, and it doesn't make a play on words at all. But in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for almond is almost like the Hebrew word for watching. So, this is one of these things we think. It doesn't come across very well in translation. Well, fortunately, there aren't very many of these in the book of Jeremiah. He doesn't doesn't go in much for plays on words, but it does start with that. The second one doesn't have a play on words at all. What's the second vision? A boiling pot, and the direction is important. Facing away from the north. So here's this pot. You can picture this pot up in the north pouring down toward the south. And what's the explanation of that vision? Well, you're right, John, but you've you've overreached what the passage says. Well, what he says is that yes, he says I'm calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north. Yeah. And so he doesn't say who it is right now, but now we know who it is, and, and John already told us it's the Babylonians. They're the ones that are going to come in from the north. Uh, one of the things that's strange about Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and I don't know why it's that way, is that he goes for many chapters before he tells you who he's talking about. It's always just enemy from the north. Believe it or not, it's not until you get to chapter 20 that he tells you it's the Babylonians. Which we're going to do that next week, um, Lord willing. Yet, I'm sure they knew who this was, even though he wasn't telling them. Because in the book of Isaiah, which had been written at least a hundred years earlier, Isaiah had said it was going to be the Babylonians. You remember when Hezekiah had shown the Babylonians all his treasures and then Isaiah told him, says, they're going to come and take all this treasure home with them. So I don't think the people had any misunderstanding about who he was talking about when he said from the north. 
But I do, do find it rather interesting that he goes from so many chapters without ever actually naming the enemy. Um, and then in verse 17, Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before them. <laughs> poor, poor Jeremiah was in a real spot. <laughs> you don't be afraid of them because if you're afraid of them, you're going to be afraid of me. <laughs> Well, we're in much the same position today. God has told us to do certain things, to stand for certain things, truths. And God does not want us hiding in fear in the world we're in. If we're afraid of the world, then the only reason we're afraid of the world is because we don't have faith in God. How can we honor God if we're going to behave like that? And for Jeremiah, I mean, the enemies of Jeremiah, which in fact were the Jews, the enemies of Jeremiah would have loved nothing better than to see Jeremiah afraid of them. It would have just convinced them that he wasn't a real prophet. And, and, and God just insists, you better, not, <laughs> you better not be dismayed before them. And then in verse 19, um, in verse 19, they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So he knew starting in, to the extent that he could understand it, that there was going to be a battle here. But it's going to take him a while to understand. And that's Any of us would have been in this exact same boat. You can't understand a thing until you go through it. Alright, so now... We go into the next section, which is going to, we'll, we'll be doing this three weeks in a row now, this next section called Warnings and Exhortations to Judah. We're just going to do it through chapter 11 today. So, chapter 2 uh, Judah has forsaken the Lord. Verse 2 Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem. Now, we mentioned earlier that he's not from Jerusalem, he lives in Anathoth, but he, he, I'm sure he went to Jerusalem plenty of times. It was actually only a few miles, of, I, I think I read it was three miles away. So, easy one. He could he could get up in the morning, go to Jerusalem, do his work, and come back home at night. Sure. Um, so here's what he's supposed to say: Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness to a land not sown. Um, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his harvest. All who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. Now, one of the pictures that is found numerous times in the book of Jeremiah is the picture of the people of God being married to Him. And, and that's what he's introducing in this very first prophecy here. Uh, the love of your betrothals. Israel was betrothed to the Lord. And so God's remembering the, the old days. And of course, He's going all the way back to um, when they were in the wilderness. Um, and they were holy to him. Nobody, no, nobody could touch them. God was going to defend them. But then, verse five: What injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? They are married to the Lord. What did God do to them that caused them to forsake Him? And of course, the answer is God didn't do anything to them. They just didn't. They got tired of it. 
And jumping all the way down to verse 11, has a nation changed gods when, when they were not gods? And he's looking at you know, the nations like the Philistines and the Moabites and the Ammonites. Each of them had their own gods. Well, do they ever change their gods? No. They don't. And, and yet, those gods weren't even real gods. But they, they don't change them. They, 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 they are loyal to their gods. Moab had the god Chemosh or Chemosh. They always had Chemosh. That was always their god. But my people have changed their glory. What's their glory? God. Into that which does not profit. They had traded the glorious God of the universe for Baal. And Baal is the one that's mentioned most in the book of Jeremiah. Um, verse 13. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken God. And what is God compared to in this verse? The fountain of living waters. Beautiful picture. And they had exchanged Him for what? Broken cisterns. Broken cisterns, yes. What's a cistern? It's just a water tank, yeah. And and in a dry climate, like what what parts of Israel were, they would dig holes in the ground next to their houses, and they would line them with clay, and they would channel during the rainy season. They'd channel water down there. Maybe the water would come off the roof. I'm not sure just how it worked, but they they had ways of channeling the water in. And then when when it didn't rain for a long time, they they could they had stairs down into this system. They could go down and, and dip water out. But, I mean, this is not like a, a, a well. This is not fresh water. <laughs> this, this is just water that's been standing for months in, the, in this hole in the ground. And yet, the cisterns they had hewn were worse than that. What was the problem with them? They were broken, yeah. They didn't have a good, good lining of clay, so they weren't even holding water. They can hold, and it says at the end of verse, they can hold no water. So they had traded God the fountain of living waters for someone that couldn't even hold water. Terrible. Now, verse 18 introduces another theme that we'll find several times in these chapters. Um, they, they were trusting in nations. And two nations are mentioned in verse 18. What are those? Egypt and Assyria. Egypt and Assyria. Now, obviously, this has to be early in the history because late in the history, Assyria didn't even exist anymore. But early in the history, they could trust in both Egypt, they could trust in Assyria. And, but God is saying, they're not going to do you any good. Why do you trust in them? Why not trust in God? And then in verse 28, But where are your gods which you have made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. <laughs> for according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. They were just like the nations around them, just had so many gods. <clears throat> or verse 34 gives us another. Now this is another aspect of their sin. Also on your skirts is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor. You did not find them breaking in, but in spite of all these things, that you said, I am innocent. Um, <clears throat> under Manasseh, who was the king, a couple of kings before Jeremiah started prophesying, it specifically says he shed much innocent blood in the city. But his descendants, I'm sure, did some of the same thing. And the whole the whole people were corrupted so that the ones who were in power would abuse the poor 
and take their lives and get what they wanted out of them. In verse 36, Why do you go around so much changing your way? Also you will be put to shame by Egypt as you were put to shame by Assyria. From this place also you will go out with your hands on your head, for the Lord has rejected those in whom you trust, and you will not prosper with them. Now in chapter 3, he pictures uh, Judah as an unfaithful wife. Um, Verse 1, God says, if a husband divorces his wife and she goes from him and belongs to another man, will he still return to her? Will not that land be completely polluted? Now, this is going back to the law of Moses. Does anyone know where the law is found that this is addressing? Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Um, it's the it's the biggest section in the in the law that deals with divorce and and it deals with divorce and remarriage, and it specifically says if a man divorces his wife, it doesn't tell him, it doesn't say he should, it doesn't say he shouldn't. It just says if a man divorces his wife, and she goes and marries another man, if that guy dies or divorces her, she can't go back to the first husband again. It would it would it would just be uh, it, it, that passage says that would be an abomination. She can't, she can't do that. And so here God is addressing that law. And He's applying it to Judah because Judah was married to God. And yet, Judah had left God. We read that in the previous chapter. And had gone after these other lovers. These other gods. And so, He says at the end of verse 1, "...but you are a harlot with many lovers." Yet you turn to me, declares the Lord. They've gone after all these other gods, and yet when they get in trouble, they come back and say, Oh Lord, help us. Help us save us from the enemy. How can you you be divorced from your husband and go with other lovers and then come back to your husband? You can't do that. That would pollute the land, is what he's saying. Look at verse 6 then. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, now, Josiah was the first of the kings in Jeremiah's lifetime. Was Josiah good or bad? He was a good king. But he had followed two very bad kings. And the people were still serving idols, even though Josiah was, was telling them not to. So the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. Again, God is picturing worshiping these other gods as being prostitution. I thought after she has done all these things, she, return, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Now, let me mention this is, this is one of the very few passages in Jeremiah that is confusing like this because when he says Israel in verse 6, you don't understand who he's talking about immediately. He's using Israel here to mean the northern kingdom, which didn't even exist by, by the end. In fact, it didn't even exist at the time that he was making this prophecy. And so he contrasts what Israel did, and then Judah followed her example. But most of the time in the book of Jeremiah, when it says Israel, it means what we would say is Judah. <laughs> so that's why it gets a little bit confusing. But the, he's, here he's, he's just showing, look what Israel did, and of course, look what happened to Israel as a result. And now Judah is following the same example. How foolish. Um, 
And in verse 8, I saw that for all the adulteries of faithful Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. They were worshiping almost anything. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. Now see, the point about returning in deception is that in the time of Josiah, externally they were worshiping God again because Josiah had forbidden them to worship idols. He had gone around all over the place destroying every idol he could find. But he's saying they've really returned to me in deception. Now Josiah wasn't doing it in deception. He was sincere. But the people obeying him, they still worship their, their idols. Um, just didn't do it publicly because they'd get in trouble. And then down to verse 16. This is an interesting verse. It shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increased in the land, declares the Lord, that they will no longer say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And it will not come to mind, nor will they remember it, nor will they miss it, nor will it be made again. Now when he was writing, the ark of the covenant of the Lord was still in the temple. But by the time Jeremiah finished, the ark had been taken captive to Babylon and it was never seen again. But he's predicting a time when it's going to be different. It's not going to be needed. Which of course is the time that we're living in now. Um, our worship to God is not is no longer based upon a physical building with a physical piece of furniture, but it's a spiritual worship. He doesn't go into detail, but I think that's what he's he's uh, alluding to here. And then one more verse for this chapter, verse twenty: Surely, as a woman treacherously departs from her lover, so you have treacherous, dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. I'm pretty sure the word Israel in that verse means Judah. (laughs) Alright, chapter 4. Jerusalem will be invaded by people from the north. Um, Verse 6. Lift up a standard towards Zion. Seek refuge. Do not stand still, for I am bringing evil from the north and great destruction. We know this is the Babylonians, but he doesn't tell us that here. Verse 19. And I think I think this is um, uh, Jeremiah talking. My soul, my soul, I am in anguish. Oh, my heart, my heart is pounding in me. I cannot be silent because you have heard, O oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Um, and I, I don't, I don't think Jeremiah is just doing this for dramatic effect. He really feels terrible for what he's having to say. He's having to tell the people things that he wishes were not going to happen. Um, now verse 23 this is, this is an interesting phrase I looked on the earth and behold it was formless and void and to the heavens and they had no light that's a literary figure taken all the way back from where? Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning the earth was formless and void and darkness on the face of the earth and, and the destruction that's going to come is being compared to the, the, the um, chaos that was at the very beginning of Genesis that God solved in the six days of creation, solved the chaos. But now He's going back to this chaos because of sin. He's destroying everything. Um, and then verse 31, 
For I heard a cry as of a woman in labor, the anguish as of one giving birth to her first child, the cry of the daughter of Zion, gasping for breath, stretching out her hands, saying, Ah, oh, woe is me, for I faint before murderers. He's trying to use strong figures here to express just how grievous this is going to be when Judah is invaded from the north. Then chapter 5, Jerusalem is godless. Um, in verse 1, he, he, God tells him to search and seek if he can find somebody that is what? That's just justice. Yeah. How many does he need to find? Just one. And what will God do if he finds one? Pardon Jerusalem. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad, is what he's saying. It's really bad. Um, and he talks a little bit more about this. But then in verse 4, then Jeremiah saw I said, Well, they are only the poor. They are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord or the ordinance of their God. I will go to the great and will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord and the ordinance of their God. But what did he find when he went to the great? Exactly the same. Yeah. Nobody. There's just nobody you can find. And so in verse 14, Therefore thus says the Lord the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth fire, and this people would and it will consume them. Behold, I am bringing a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It is an enduring nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. And then he keeps talking about how bad it's going to be. But in verse 18, we have a little bit of hope. Even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make you a complete destruction. It shall come about when they say, Why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? Then you shall say to them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you will serve strangers in a land that is not yours. So there will be some that will survive this terrible invasion, and they'll be slaves, and they'll and Jeremiah will be able to tell them why it happened. Verse twenty-eight: um, They are fat, they are sleek, they also excel in deeds of wickedness. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the orphan, that they may prosper and they do not defend the rights of the poor. These are the same kinds of sins we found being rebuked in the book of Isaiah as well. And verse 30, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority, and my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? And we'll see these prophets later on. Jeremiah talks about them quite a bit. Um, They are one of the reasons why no one believed Jeremiah. Because they had plenty of prophets to tell them, oh, peace is on the way. It won't be very long now and we'll have peace. Um, and of course, when Jeremiah said, I don't think so, their attitude was, you don't love us. <laughs> and poor Jeremiah. It, just, it was a hard... He had a hard one. Chapter 6, <coughs> the coming destruction of Jerusalem. <clears throat> Verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Cut down our trees and cast up a siege against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished in whose midst there is only oppression. <clears throat> Verse 13, For from the least of them even to the greatest of them everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet even to the priest everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of My people superficially saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. And verse 16, Thus says the Lord, 
Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Chapter 7. Now, we have a specific historic event, although I don't know when it happened. He, Jeremiah was told to, in verse 2, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. <coughs> and this is a message that has a lot to do with their attitude about the temple. What was their attitude about the temple? Linda? They were proud that they had the temple, that God was with them. Yeah. God's on our side because we have His house. In <laughs> um, verse 4, do not trust a deceptive word saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. <laughs> it's not going to do you any good just because it belongs to the Lord. And he tells them a story, a historical story, in fact, in this chapter. Let's see if I can find this. Well, I first need to cover verses 8 and 9. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery and swear falsely and offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered that you may do all these abominations. <laughs> if God did deliver them, they'd just do more sin. <clears throat> so he says, oh, well, in verse 11, Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your sight? What does that sound like? Jesus. Yeah, when Jesus cleansed the temple, He called it a den of robbers. <clears throat> Look in verse 12, But go now to my place which was in Shiloh. What's He talking about here? Tabernacle was originally set up in Shiloh. That's where it was when Eli was the high priest and his sons Hophni and Phinehas were priests. And what did God do about it? Yeah. The Philistines took the ark in battle. Yeah, the Philistines took the ark, and that was the end of that. And Shiloh was no longer the place of the tabernacle. In fact, they didn't have a place for quite a while. Um, and and God is saying, I did it once. I can do it again. It makes a lot of sense, but none of these things had much effect on these people. Um, and then in, in verse 16, what does he tell Jeremiah? Don't pray for them. Why? He's not going to listen to any prayers for them. That's bad. Yeah. And in verse 27, you should speak all these words to them, but what's going to happen? They won't listen. How would you like the job of going and preaching and being told ahead of time, but nobody's going to listen to you? <laughs> what a way to live. Oh man, poor, you just have to feel bad for the guy. Um. Alright, chapter, at chapter 8, Judah refuses to repent. Um, Verse 4, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, do men fall and not get up again? I mean, if somebody came in the building here and tripped and fell on their face, you wouldn't expect them to still be lying down at the end of the service. They're going to get up. But what's the point? Well, these people haven't gotten up. Right. They've fallen on their face in their sins and they're just lying there. They're not getting up. You know, 
And that's the point of the chapter. Judah refuses to repent. Verse 11, they heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. He's one of these false prophets here. Um, they're not giving them the message they need. They're just giving the message they want. Um, and so here's what Jeremiah himself says in verse 21. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken, I mourn. Dismay has taken hold of me. He feels so bad about this. He's just going to a terrible grief. And so in chapter 9, he has a lament for Zion. Zion's another word for what? Jerusalem, yes. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place that I might leave my people and go from them for all of them are adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. Have you, have you ever heard Jeremiah referred to as the weeping prophet? And you can see why. I mean, he just feels so bad at what he's seeing happen. <clears throat> uh, verse 7, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and assay them. For what else can I do because of the daughter of my people? How did you refine precious metals in those days? You melted them down. So it would be pretty painful if you pictured yourself as being a lump of of impure gold, it would be pretty painful to get as, uh, refined, as he says here. But what else can he do? Um, their tongue is a deadly arrow, it speaks to see. With his mouth one speaks peace to his neighbor, but inwardly he sets an ambush for him. Um, verse 9, Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? On a nation such as this shall I not avenge myself? Um, Verse 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not a man, a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Oh, what shall we boast about then? That we know God, yes. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Now, chapter 10 it is an interesting chapter and it pictures the, the foolishness of idolatry. Um, in verse 3, for the customs of the peoples are delusion because it is wood cut from the forest, the work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver, with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not totter. <laughs> like a scarecrow crow in a cucumber field are they. And they cannot speak they must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. But in contrast to these lifeless idols, what do we find out in verse 6? Yeah, Matthew? God is great. Yeah, God is great. There's nobody like Him. Um, verse 11, Thus you shall say to them, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom and by His understanding. He has stretched out the heavens. And verse 23, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. 
Correct me, O Lord, but with justice, not with your anger, or you will bring me to nothing. And then the last chapter we're covering this morning is chapter 11, the broken covenant. Um, the covenant he's talking about here is the covenant God made with Israel in the desert of Egypt at Mount Sinai. That was the covenant He made with them. And so in verse 3, Say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not heed the words of this covenant, which I commanded your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so on like that. Um, in verse 10, They have turned back to the iniquities of their ancestors who refused to hear My words. And they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken My covenant which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing disaster on them which they will not be able to escape though they will cry to Me, yet I will not listen to them. So in verse 14, again He says, Therefore do not pray for this people nor lift up a cry or prayer for them. For I will not listen when they call to Me because of their disaster. And verse 18, this now we change stories a little bit. This is a personal story. Moreover, the Lord made it known to me and I knew it. Then you showed me their deeds. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know that they had devised plots against me saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit and let us cut off from the land of the, him off from the land of the living that his name be remembered no more. God, they were doing the secret plot, plot and God revealed it to Jeremiah. Now this is the beginning of, of the troubles he's going to have throughout the book. So he, so he prays to God in verse 20, But O Lord of hosts who judges righteously, who tries the feelings of the, and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. And so here's the Lord's answer. Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth. Where if he had Anathoth before? That's his own hometown. Here's what God says about Anathoth, who seek your life. His own hometown people sought his life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord so that you will not die at our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am about to punish them. The young men will die by the sword, their sons and daughters will die by famine. And a remnant will not be left to them, for I will bring disaster on the men of Anathoth the year of their punishment. Well, he's got a lot more to go than this. It's going to get even worse on poor Jeremiah, but that's as far as we have read thus far. Any more questions or comments? I appreciate everyone's help. If you don't have the new schedule, get it. It's out in the vestibule because I revise the schedule rather than covering 40 chapters this week. <laughs> so next week we're doing chapters 12 through 24. They have to do that. Yeah.